Defense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ufellas. On Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. We're live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your host, just with the most, just the radio check, Annie, along with my colorful, courageous, and cordial <laughs> co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Curtis, remember, just before we started to go on air, I said, you know, I think I've gotten everything. I don't think I forgot something. Yeah. You know what I forgot to do? You heard all that, that double intro? Yeah. <laughs> well, I forgot yeah. to mute the pages on the backup computer, so when I was playing the intro music, I was wondering it was also was. playing on <laughs> I've got duplicate music echoing. Oh my goodness! What a I thought for up. a second we were speaking in rounds, like they sing around. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, can I mess up a wet dream? Anyway. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the show. we got ourselves a great show. we got a returning guest. Burgess Owens is with us. He's got a new book out that's coming out in exactly two weeks called Why I Stand, From Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. And that sounds like an exciting book. I do not have a press copy to read. Hopefully we'll have one uh, before it comes yeah. back out and maybe have it back on again um, shortly after its release. And then we have uh, another author coming on. He happens to be um, a CEO on Wall Street uh, of Signature Bank, and Scott A. Shea, he's written a book out there called In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism. And I've got to tell you, reading his book, um, I've been doing that Bible uh passage one a day type of thing. Uh, my church is doing that. They tell you, you know, how many passages to read in the Old Testament and New Testament. And it gave me a new way of looking and reading the Bible and understanding it a lot better. Uh, so we're going to be talking to him about that. So we got ourselves right. a busy day, a lot that is going on. Uh, Pocahontas making the news again. <laughs> so we're going to have a little oh, fun man. with that. Oh, man. Uh, so boring. we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> And we're, what, 24, 24 days away from um, midterm elections, and the left, especially Antifa, is ramping up. We're also going to be discussing that. Mm-hmm. A lot to talk about, a lot to do, yeah. Uh, that said, those that listen to the show know we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to not one, but to two fallen heroes. 
both killed in the line of duty on the same day, is going out to Deputy Sheriff Tyler Lindsay and Sergeant Noel Ramirez of Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office in Florida. Their end of watch was Thursday, April 19th of this year. And this is from Heavy.com. Sergeant Noel Ramirez and Deputy Taylor Lindsay, the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office deputies, were shot fatally in an ambush at the Chinese restaurant in Trenton, Florida, were remembered as the best of the best and officers who were men of integrity and loyalty. A statement from the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Department indicated the shootings were completely unprovoked. The Gilcrest County Sheriff's spokesman told Heavy on April 20th that the gunman went inside the restaurant and ambushed the deputies as they ate. Previously, authorities had said the deputies were executed through a window as they simply sat there eating a meal. But further investigation clarified that information. The double shooting occurred in Trenton, Florida. Ramirez was 30 and Lindsay was 25. Gilcrest County Sheriff Bobby Schultz said at a press conference, the sheriff called the gunman a coward. He was identified as John Herbert Hino, 59, of Bell, Florida. A GoFundMe site has been started up to help the young children of Ramirez. They were God-fearing, and they loved what they did and were proud of it, the emotional sheriff said of the deputies. I loved them, and they were loved. And I met with families today and told them they can be proud of these men. They can be proud, and I've been proud to have them as their sheriff. What do you what do you expect happens when you demonize law enforcement to the extent extent it's been demonized? Every type of hate, every type of put down you can think of. The only thing these men were guilty of was protecting you and me. They just wanted to get something to eat and to do their jobs, the sheriff added. He said the slayings hit him like a ton of bricks. A press release from the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Department describes the horrific situation. Both our heroes had simply sat down to eat while on duty. There was no crime in progress, no disturbance. The suspect appears to have walked to the front of the business and shot both men without warning. Two holes in the window were visible tonight, the Sheriff's Department said in release. The shooting unfolded at 3 p.m. in the afternoon of April 19th. At approximately that three this afternoon, two Gilcrest County deputy sheriffs were shot and killed in the Ace Chinese restaurant in downtown Trenton, the press release said. The sheriff's department indicated that a motive has not yet been known. At this point, remains an active criminal investigation with no apparent motive or indications as to why this tragedy occurred, the press release went on to say. The Facebook page of Sergeant Ramirez shows an officer devoted to family. His most recent public post is a video of a small child on stage that he captioned a speech at Levy County Fair pageant. Hashtag, I love chicken. Another photo showed him kissing a small child who was wearing a costume. According to the sheriff, Ramirez was married with kids and Lindsay left behind a girlfriend. In 2015, Noel wrote, I'm a daddy again, my daughter. She was born today, 5, 7, 15, at 3.02 p.m., weighs 6 pounds and 11 ounces, and is 20 inches tall. Thank you, God, for this miracle. In love with my little princess. 
Ramirez previously worked at another sheriff's office and police department. He was promoted to sergeant about a year ago and had worked with the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Department for two years. If you've ever seen Sergeant Ramirez smile, infectious, the sheriff said. In 2013, he posted about the birth of his namesake son, my little miracle, baby Lido. Noel Ramirez III was born on 10-29-13 at 017 hours. Baby Lido weighed was 6.5 pounds in height, 19 and a half inches, he wrote. I want to thank God because without him, this miracle wouldn't happen. I want to thank Gigi for giving me the best gift in the world. I love you, boo. I want to thank everyone, family, friends, etc., for all your prayers and good wishes. This is the best feeling ever. Ramirez posted a photo of an arm tattoo that read, I wouldn't change you for the world but I would change the world for you. The caption read, Love you, son. Daddy will always be proud of you. He also posted a graphic that read, I am an autism dad. The shooter was dead at the scene, although details of how his death unfolded were not yet released, as fellow deputies responded to the scene. They found the shooter deceased outside the business, and both deputy sheriffs where they died of their wounds. The governor and attorney general pledged any support necessary to help Gilchrist County as the news of the attack unfolded. Tributes to Taylor Lindsay and Noel Ramirez on Facebook. It doesn't seem real. I was just thinking to you today and at the store of you were happy to be moving back to Trenton. I didn't think once that it would be our last conversation. There really are no words. Rest easy, Tyler and Noel, wrote one on Lindsay's page. Another friend wrote on Lindsay Page, I will miss you, buddy. Tyler Lindsay, he was a good guy. I feel he's going to text me and tell me he's okay. This doesn't seem real at all. Another friend called Lindsay such a sweet soul and wrote, Just when I thought this day could get no worse, I have absolutely no words. No one should have to die doing what they love. No one should have to worry about their safety going to work or coming home from work, especially someone like this man. I'm so lucky to have grown up with such a sweet soul, but gone way too soon. What is this country coming to? I am in shock. Taylor Lindsay is one of the sweetest souls. He did not deserve this. He is a hero and will not be forgotten ever. The sheriff added, they gave their lives so we can be safe. I made contact with the families. As you can expect, you can never be prepared for something like this. But make no mistake. I am proud of their families, the sheriff continued. They understood when their loved ones pinned on the badge and strapped on the gun that this was a possibility. For anybody that can hear me, the sound of my voice, and see my face on their TV, Sergeant Ramirez and Deputy Lindsay were the best of the best. According to his Facebook page, Lindsay studied at Santa Fe College, Kirkpatrick Center Institute for Public Safety, and went to Gainesville High School and lived in Gainesville, Florida, and was single. Lindsay had left the Gilcrest County Sheriff's Department and then recently came back, the sheriff said. He loved doing drug interdiction and serving people. I don't have answers as to why this happened. They need to be remembered for the type of people they are, good individuals, good deputy sheriffs. We have heroes among us. And finally, another friend of Lindsay's wrote, praying for you and your family tonight, Tyler Lindsay, You threw the best tacky sweater Christmas party 
every Christmas break. You are the kindest people I know. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Tyler Lindsay and to Sergeant Noel Ramirez of Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office in Florida. It is also dedicated to all the first responders out there, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate the show to the military from the birth of the this nation through today and into the future. We dedicate to them this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one of them. You're here listening to Sudden Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHRD Media, the Lone Star Daily News up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, YouTube, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. Go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. And I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And we have our guest in on the line, Curtis. So shall we bring a reoccurring victim? He is a glutton for punishment on. <laughs> Let's welcome aboard. Burgess yeah. Meredith. Let's see if he's got his Let's see if he's got his A game today. And I'm sure he does. <laughs> hey guys, welcome we'll, we'll back with you for sure. Hey, Burgess. Uh it is our pleasure. Uh you you've got a brand new book coming out in exactly two weeks. Uh congratulations on that one. It's called Why I Stand From Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. And I'm sorry, I didn't get a press copy to review, so I'm just going off the top <laughs> of my head at uh, knowing okay. you and your colorful background, I think we'll have no problem covering this book. Well it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh and I tell you what, the, the, just as a like as a premise, to, 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 a lot of people don't realize how how much freedom the black community had 
for so many years, literally right after the uh, uh, Civil War, 40 years later, uh, for those who don't know that, in 19, oh, 1905, uh, a little, little college called Tuskegee University, Tuskegee College, uh, was producing more black millionaires than uh, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. Uh, that's just a, a tip of the iceberg in terms of success they were having in this, in this environment that was still very, very uh, uh, negative in terms of uh, opportunity. So it's freedom that we've all experienced as, as a country to where we're heading off to, which you see across the board, this, 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 this hatred of socialism, Marxism, and atheism that we are dealing with, that we have to make sure that we understand what it is. And, again, it's not, it's not black and white. It's not men and women. It's, it's ideology that's, uh, that's very hurtful for our country. But a lot of people don't realize how much freedom we were there, because here in South Carolina, when the first free black communities were born, it was called Mitchellville, Mitchellville <laughs> out in the Hilton Head area. We also had out uh, the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation at the uh, 100-year-old uh, Live Oak was out in St. Helena here, right nearby. We had the Penn Center, one of the first colleges, it, schools for free blacks, was here in St. Helena. There was a lot of industry and growth within the black community. Well, you know, Tammy, this is, this is where we have to make sure that we're, we're grabbing back our history. You know, it was Karl Marx, the, the communists and, and uh, socialists, who made a statement that's been that's proved out so true, this is back in the 1800s, that is the first battleground is rewriting of history. And as, as we've gone out and, and built our families and, and for those of us who've taken risk and, and built our dreams, we, what we haven't recognized is that the, the, the elitists, the socialists, the Marxists, and atheists through stealth have embedded themselves in our institutions and stolen our history. Uh, what you just mentioned are things our kids need to hear. Uh, something else a lot of Americans don't know. That's the 40s and 50s and 60s. It was, it was a black community that led our country in the growth of the middle class, which I grew up in. It, it led our country in terms of men committed to marriage, over 70 percent, uh, percentage of entrepreneurs, and percentage of men committed to education. If you understand that and you see where we are today, you recognize that, no, we were not a race that went from slavery to oppressed, to be oppressed for, for uh, over a century by white people and finally got our freedom in, in, in 1960. We were doing great things. We just need to learn our history again. And uh, that's the biggest theft of the leftists is taking away our history and therefore uh, stealing the pride that we have in our past and our vision for the future. And what was also surprising was the growth of the middle class within the blacks. And some of the first uh, millionaires were women, <laughs> black women, that, that were making millions. One was a cosmetic, in cosmetics, uh, another in, in the uh, food industry. They were, they were making themselves millionaires. They were able to rise up. And matter of fact, your family is a perfect example of it. Matter of fact, your was your great great grandfather. Yes, yes, and and, and that's yes, you're so so right. Uh, my my great great grandfather, Dallas uh, Burgess, uh, came here in, in the Bellevue Slave Ship in 1848. Dad is a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, owned a hundred acres up in two years. Uh, started the first church, black church, first black. Uh, uh, um, uh, elementary school and a very proud American and Republican. Uh, those are the kind of stories that have been stolen from us. Um, and again, if we, if, we go, if we were able to go back and talk to our, our parents and our grandparents, many of us would find out how proud that generation was of what they were doing and the progress they were making. And they would be totally ashamed of what has become of the black community, where so many of us now are waiting for uh, somebody to, to, to anoint us as a, the latest victim. You know, a, a proud people never look at themselves as victims. This just never happens. It's not, not the way it works. 
and we have to get our men and women once back uh, again proud of who they are, proud of our generation, and teaching them uh, that they can also make this country. And that's a that's our big fight. And again, it's the socialists, Marxists, and atheists that are within our own race. By the way, our greatest our greatest threat are not white supremacists. It's black elitists. It's black socialists, Marxists, and atheists who have in, embedded themselves in our community. Living the American dream and then telling everybody else how we can't, how they can't do it because white people won't let them. We need to, we need to point out who these people are and uh, call them what they are. They're traitors to our race. Uh, they're traitors to our country. And for those of us who love our country, love our race, love our families, we just stand up against them. Have the boldness and courage to stand up against these people and let them know uh, to take a long walk up a short pier. And we, we'll get this thing back. Burgess, well, you know, isn't the, it true that... Um, isn't it true that we need to um, reclaim our school system and re-educate our children? And I say re-educate, yeah. not brainwash. You know, and it's interesting. Our country has been built on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, the biggest part of that is not only a trust and belief in a God, no matter how you decide to, to, to worship them, but education. Uh, education is, is where we, we think outside the box, critical thinking. It's how we get past um, uh, 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 you know, gossip and all the other things that, uh, that, that happens when people are not educated. Matter of fact, one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, uh, and, and, uh, to, to, to uh, paraphrase, said ignorance and free can never be. And what's happened to our community, and on purpose, by the way, by these black elitists, the John Lewis's, the Elijah Cummins, the, the, the Maxine Waters, we have in the state of California, 75% of our black boys cannot pass standard reading and writing tests. Now imagine where they're heading, what their future looks like if they, think, if they can't be able to critically think, to be able to articulate themselves, to be able to argue and debate. They will definitely be controlled by leftists who will give them a message of propaganda. So, yes, education and ownership, those are the two things that make our country unique and great. Uh, by the way, Curtis, I just found out that uh, the last year and a half, uh, black ownership, black entrepreneurship has gone up 400%. That wow. there is how we were wealthy in the day in the days of old, and that's how we're going to become it again through ownership, not not by being entertainers, not by getting these big contracts and then not knowing what to do with it, but be, become little Marxists ourselves. So that's how we do it. Yeah, we got to get well, that out know, there. It's also you know where people are now finding their voice. It's like the Tea Party movement started it. <coughs> Donald Trump picked up on it. And now people are understanding you have Diamond and Silk. You've got Kane West. The people that were buying into the liberal mantra finally realized that they were being lied to all these years. You know, here in South Carolina, we've got uh, uh, Katie Arrington running against a Democrat for uh, Mark Stanford's seat. And she was up in Charleston just this past week or so. And black businessmen and women gathered around her and supported her and said that, you know, we have been lied to too many times by the Democrats and we are now going to endorse Katie Arrington because we, we are understanding what the message is. And the message is pro-growth, pro-business, pro-independence. Pro-family. And, you know, I'll tell you something. The greatest gift to our country, believe it or not, was President Obama because we see how lousy liberalism works and how terrible the president was and all those great promises. And I don't care what color it is, if you're failing your people, you're failing our country, the people living in a, in a state of more misery, I don't care what color you need to be fired or you need to be pointed out to. 
And I think what's happening right now is that black America, because we have so much hope in this, in this last uh, uh, administration and we were let down so much, that we begin to ask those questions. And, yes, we're leaving the plantation. There was uh, 16% of black Americans that were pro-candidate Trump, 36% of black Americans now pro-President Trump. And why? Because we're working. We're getting ourselves educated. We're getting hope again. We're, we're realizing that we can have conversations, and we also recognize how, how angry the other side is with no message. There's no message coming from the Democratic Party other than resist and beat up and punish and bully. That's what they do best. That's what they've done it for centuries. It was this same party that used to wear white hoods. It's now the same party that wear black masks and hiding behind bureaucrats and, and tenure college, uh, college tenure where they can actually attack and bully people to believe their way. And so now we're waking up, and I'm so excited about what the black community is going to be doing to bring our country back because all it takes 15 20% of us to begin to vote our values and principles first, and therefore they no longer have the 93% that have been at herd mentality voting for their party. They have to earn it, and they won't because of socialist Marxists and atheists, and therefore we will begin to look at, uh, as, as an independent group of people, we will look at the best for our community, our families, and our kids, and, uh, and those who want our vote will have to work for it and earn it, and we will be uh, a community that will really come back strong in that, in that process. You know, the, the worst thing that could hap- happen to our nation was the great experiment of LBJ, where he came up with welfare and all the other social programs. And it was based deliberately to take you away from depending upon the local community and your local church to depending solely upon government. It meant to deliberately break up families. You would get lower welfare benefits if you were married. So if you're better off having a lot of baby daddies, and the more babies you have, the more money you get from government. So it's better off if you stay home. Uh, I had someone telling me a story that they had someone that really wanted to work and was working full-time and was working hard, but she was a single mother that needed a little bit of a hand up for the government. She gets a phone call at work, and she walks away crying, and the boss is asking her, why are you, why are you so upset? She goes, the government lady just called and told me I'm earning too much money. I'm going to lose my Medicaid benefits for my child if I keep working here. This is what we yep. don't need. This is the exact opposite of what we need. And that's, and that's liberalism. That's Marxism at its worst. Uh, you have to understand, and, and, and why I point to our real problem. Uh, yes, LBJ uh, was a typical Democrat that used, decided a way to use the, the, the politics to, um, uh, to get our race uh, dependent. But, again, we have within our own race blacks who go for it, blacks who promote it. Uh, we have the, the elitists, the, um, uh, those that actually are living the American dream that will vote against our kids getting education. Uh, they live the American dream. They'll tell our kids, that uh, they, they, you know, they, they, they promote the, the welfare state because it, it, it helps them to, to make things happen. So, uh, yeah, we, we've been a process. It's been a long battle for us, and it goes back as, as far back as the Davis-Bacon Act when uh, uh, the, they put in place a, a law that's still around today that's still promoted by our black elitists, our Democrats. And what it does, it, it, it takes away the opportunities for blacks to have employment or jobs from the federal government, they're building their communities. It's called Davis-Bacon Act. It's something, again, still on the books and they have not been able to get rid of. So, you know, again, we have to recognize that we are truly in a battle, guys. It's our Judeo-Christian values 
that we've been brought up with, our parents have been have, 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 have relied on, that keeps our hope in the future and also makes sure that we see each other better as every generation comes. That is up against socialism, Marxism, and atheism, the absolute opposite, which steals, destroys, and takes away the hopes of anybody who adheres to it. And, of course, it empowers those, the elitists, particularly our black elitists, like the John Lewis's and, uh, and the rest of them, that, uh, that live the American dream and, and, and um, continue to, to steal the dreams of our, of our kids. You know, it's funny because, you know, we're not teaching our kids history properly. And if, if anyone were to see what is happening today, they would equate it to what was happening to Ger- Germany in World War I going into World War II. What did Hitler do? He broke up the family. He took control of the education. And then he, he got the youths to, to form up in gangs and create havoc and violence on the streets. And when I saw the riots over in Berkeley uh, going into the uh, 2016 elections, I looked at my husband, uh, whose family fled the Nazis in Europe, uh, and I said, that's Kristallnacht. What you're watching in yep. Germany is Kristallnacht. And, and then they say they're Antifa. No, they are 100% fascist. They're not fascist. against fascism. Yep. They are for it. <laughs> and they use a fake title, a fake name, and the press picks up on it, and no one wakes up to the fact that this is what exactly happened to Germany going into World War II. Well, this is the key. They're cowards and bullies. That's why they put on black masks, and they, and they, they have their face. They're cowards and bullies. And that's the way these guys have always been. Uh, you look at the KKK, uh, cowards and bullies. They have their face because they know what they're doing is wrong, but they have been empowered by the gang bullying. Um, there's something that is also uh, consistent with the, the, the days of Nazi, and that's the propaganda. Uh, they were very, very good at, at, at propagandizing and, 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 and pretty much, um, uh, what is it called? It's, it's when you have a mind, there's um, a word for it. Uh, anyway, it's when you convince people that this is the way it is because they see it and hear it so often, and that's what's happening to our, our communities. We now have black entertainment television. Uh, which is owned by uh, uh, socialist white corporation, uh, the, the uh, white stone, uh, red stone, and, and and you see what's been going on in that community the last 18 years. It's nothing but anti-white, anti-American, uh, anti-family, uh, anti-Christian, and so you, you wonder why these kids, when they become very wealthy and they get on the football field and and instead of looking around the, the, the field and thinking about how they can use capitalism to to move ahead, they they they, they kneel because they don't have a love for our country, because they have not been taught that. That propaganda is being, being, being supported now by our media. And it's kind of neat, guys. It's one, one, I mean, it's, it's sad to see what's happening. We now, uh, you know, can be very concerned, but the upside is we finally realize we're in a fight. They no longer can afford to be stealth and quiet and progressively slow. It's in your face because they realize how much power they're losing. They lost the House, the Senate. The, uh, the executive branch, and just the losing now the, the Supreme Court. And for leftists who love power, that's a bridge too far. They can no longer be patient, and that's why they're in your face, beating up as many people as they can, destroying as many people as you can, and America's waking up that we're now in a fight, and we have to, we have to fight against these kind of people. But you notice the more that we win, the more frustrated they get and the more violent they get. And their only answer to it is to scream at you or to physically attack you. Now, Susan Collins was just had an attack at her own home, at her home. Someone mailed 
some threatening letter or whatever that the Secret Service had to take and the FBI are investigating. They're going to our homes. They're going out where we yeah. eat. They go out to where we put gas in your car to the point where sometimes I'm wondering whether it's smart to even have a bumper sticker on my car for fear of being physically attacked. You know, they intimidate well, was, you in an attempt to shut us up. There was a guy who actually had his car uh, firebar because he had Trump sticker on it. Again, realize what's happening, guys. Um, these leftists uh, don't know how to articulate their voices. It's all emotion. They, they have not been trained to be critical thinking or they wouldn't be leftists. And so when they run out of things to say and names to call you, all they can do is put their fists and try to beat you. Of course, they do it as a game. They do it in the dark of the night or they do it with their, their buddies around them because that's what leftists are. They're cowards and they're bullies. So, so what we have to understand is, yes, we, we're seeing the worst of it, and that's because they are truly desperate. They've, uh, they did not expect Hillary to lose. They did not expect uh, President Trump to be so effective. And the fact is, uh, whether they consider him presidential or not, I can care less. I really, I mean, I'm tired of the presidential quote uh, uh, process because we've had very president. Obama was very presidential. He's a lousy president. We now have somebody who's making America great again. He is impacting the black community, every community, uh, in every in every aspect of winning. We are getting there, and it drives the left nuts because basically. They don't care about the people and the, the impact, the positive impact. They care about the fact that they're losing out on their power of when people are dependent. So, uh, yes, we, we, they, they, are, they are being very, very, uh, um, I would say, like rabid dogs. But what does it do for us? It allows us to point out very easily who they are. And, uh, and, and doing that will allow those who don't really keep up as much, they can kind of look at what happened to Kavanaugh and say, you know, there's something wrong about that. I don't like it. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but to have somebody's name destroyed that way for no for no reason is not right. That's not American, and that's going to help our cause and help us to keep uh, keep control of our, our process moving forward. Burgess. I call it the Kavanaugh. I, I call it the Kavanaugh effect because uh, CNN of all places, Morning Joe, turned around to his listeners and to the Democratic Party and says, "I think you took." this a little too far with Kavanaugh. I think you did us more harm than good. And I think the Kavanaugh effect, and now watching, you've got three different separate incidents of Antifa rioting. You had uh, the, uh, oh, what's, what's the prayer group that was uh, in uh, Portland uh, that was attacked. Uh, you had the New York City yeah. GOP headquarters attacked. In three different places, you had Antifa violent attacks at the same time of the Kavanaugh effect. Uh, It's everyone, middle America, even if you're sitting on the fence, is starting to say, hey, I can't sit on the fence anymore. Yeah. I I tell you the way, there was a book I read a while back called The Seven Miracles of Saved America. Uh, And in the essence, the the theme of it was that there's a God in heaven that throughout history that we see little miracles that happen and might be fog over the Delaware at the right time that's very unseasonal. It could be little things that happen that literally change the course of our history. At the time, we really need that. We needed a miracle. I think that eighth miracle was was President Trump, uh, November eighth, in two thousand sixteen. Um, and I think because of that, we now are uh, having a chance for Americans who again have not really been all that maybe involved, but they're feeling it. They're feeling a difference in the way our country is moving now. They haven't been trained. Our kids not been trained in, in school systems about where how to move forward. It, the most important thing, though, is we can have these kind of conversations where all of a sudden 
uh, we're getting away from the PC correctness of being able to talk about God or being able to talk about Christmas. All the things that we were hitting in a way that people were bullying us not to open our minds and be who we are. We're now, I think, at a point where people recognize, you know, this this country is, is worth fighting for. And, and at the end of the day, we do have a God in heaven who has been there for us in the very, very beginning when those pilgrims came to this country and kneeled and, and gave the Mayfowl Compact. And it will be to the very, very end. And now that Americans are waking up and, and, and recognizing who's in charge, uh, we'll be able to beat these, uh, these atheists, these Marxists, and these socialists that, uh, that hide themselves behind uh, these black garments. It, it says everything about who they are, the fact that they, they chose black to wear themselves and cover themselves there's everything about their spirit. They are not really they're not good people and they're not gonna win. No, they're not in the end, because Revelation says we win in the end. But uh, there was something interesting that happened just before we went on air. Ben Sass was on Fox, and you know they have that thing at noon where they, everyone sits on the curvy couch. And he said something, and I want to paraphrase it because I can't say exactly what he said. But he said, you know, when they took away our family, when they took away our faith, they took away our inclusion in a community. They took away everything that we had, basically we say our moral fiber. Where else are people going to turn to guidance to look for you know, the difference between good and evil, but what's up in front in your face nonstop, and that's politics. So now we're seeing you know, the forces of good and evil acting out through politics today. Yes, and, and it brings me to where our answers will be. Uh, I was, I was, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't look up just to confirm, but I think it was something like uh, from the 60s to the 70s, uh, there were 15%, uh, five, 1,500% more black politicians than there were the decade before. And it, it pointed out to me very simply, we need to stop looking at politics, politicians as being our answers. The entrepreneurial spirit has been always the way our country's grown. When, when, when my race was leading our country in all those different aspects, it's because we had more entrepreneurs than any other culture. We had over 40% of black Americans were entrepreneurs which means somewhere between 50 to 75% of America, black Americans were part of the black middle class. Right now, by the way, that entrepreneurship in the black community is down to 3.8%. So we need to recognize our answers as not politicians. Unfortunately, too many of those guys, we elect them, and they become part of the problem. They become elitists. They become those who, 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 who love being uh, kings and queens and forget the people who got them there. Uh, but if we can teach our uh, kids, number one, to trust in the American system, to trust in the God in heaven, to do the right things, trust, I mean, respect people, be a good person, uh, take risks, get back up if you fall flat, and some kind of way things will work out. If we teach our kids to do that, then we become a better country because we, we innately become a better server individually. As we serve ourselves individually, we become a more, uh, more value to our country and our community and our families. So my message when I, whenever I talk, I hear people saying, ask me, first, have you ever thought about going into politics? I say, it never has and never will. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> if we can teach our kids to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> then we can be okay. Take risks. Urges. Urges. Get back up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, when you were in the NFL, were most of the coaches and coaching staff patriots, you know, patriotic? You know, I don't know about today, but I would. I would tend to believe that back then they, they may have been a little more patriotic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, <laughs> the things, the conversation we have today, uh, the, those old players and coaches would they'd be rolling their graves to see what's going on. Keep in mind uh, the, the founders of the NFL, 
uh, T. Roselle during the war was in the Philippines, uh, is in, in the Navy. Yet um, uh, Al Davis, my coach, who was a true, true American patriot, was uh, was too young to do the war, but just missed it by a, a year or two because he was old enough to know the difference. So that era, along with my dad, my dad was a World War II vet, and they came back proud of our country, proud of that flag. I was taught when I was a kid, never let that flag touch the ground because it would be decimated. Uh, it would be des- de- de- desecrated. And and so the, the idea of patriotism was, was part of the DNA of that last generation and my generation. So I can remember standing on the sideline, uh, looking at that flag, you know, playing with the Jets, even though we weren't winning. But I would get teary-eyed just thinking, what, what a great opportunity to be here and to do what I love to do and be paid relatively good income. That's the American way. And, and what's, what the leftists have done, because they're cowards and they're bullies, is they've gotten into the school system where nobody can fire them. They've gotten into, into the, the government where nobody can fire them. They get to be college, tenure college uh, professors where nobody can fire them, and they, they bully people to think the way they think. And the, the result of that, unfortunately, is we now have grown kids at Yale and, and Harvard they do not understand the rule of law. do not understand the presumption of, of innocence. They don't understand the basic premise of what makes our country great as they demonstrate against a, a man, a justice who is being railroaded because he has to be conservative. That is where we are today. So if, for parents, let's not look at these college places as, as what they used to be 30, 40 years ago. It's different. And we cannot afford to, to have our kids, to pay our kids, go to these places to be turned into Marxists. Uh, if we understand that, uh, we get our country back by educating ourselves. And those that generation, Curtis, uh, you wouldn't find a stronger advocate of our American way, those coaches and those players of my day. And uh, matter of fact, I was just talking with a couple of, of my teammates, former teammates, uh, 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 that uh, really they did, they did well. You don't hear from them. But they're the, they're the example. They are conservatives. They love this country. But you won't hear them getting up on uh, and, and, and doing what I do. <laughs> They're not going to get on, on, on Fox and tell everybody <laughs> not to be wide as leaders of whips. But they still have the same values we have. And I said the most important thing, you go into the, in the voting booth and you vote with values. I don't care how much you shout from the rooftops, you vote your values, our country wins. Yeah, we need more people yeah. like you and Pat Tillman and all the others who sacrifice for this country. <laughs> Well, you know, you know what's interesting. You think about what we're doing right now. Um, and, you know, we're we're having that conversation, and there are a lot of Americans out there hearing us, listening to it. This is the American way. You know, sometimes we might not agree on everything, but the fact is, we have the ability to 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 talk, to debate, to give our thoughts, and in the process of educating people out there, that's how our country goes forward. So the fact that that you guys have had this dream of goal and taking risks and taking chances to have a, a forum where we can have this kind of conversation, this is how we as a team win this deal. Uh, and it is a team effort. You know, America has always been about teams. And uh, we all have our talents and our, our, our passions and areas that we call our mission. But we pull that together as long as we love our country, God, and, and family, uh, then we, we benefit each other. And, and that's what we're doing right now. So uh, we just have to keep it up and, and make sure that uh, the people have an option of hearing other messages other than the leftist message. Well, you know, the American people are uh, listening because if you looked at the numbers for last week's on the NFL ratings on TV, and uh, Twitter was lit up with it. And they're saying empty seats galore at the falcons Bucks uh, kickoff. Uh, sea of empty seats at the Cleveland Brown versus the uh, Rams. 
then you had a video of the Nissan station with the Titans against the Ravens. Uh, you had thousands of empty seats at Denver Bronco and L.A. And uh, one person posted, I see lots of empty seats. I thought it takes big bucks to get into a Bronco ticket. Yeah, the, the American people now for three years straight have spoken. I mean, I used to belong with a group where uh, we did uh, like a football pool, but we did a radio show on Friday evenings. We do our picks. And, you know, I, I stopped watching the games last year, honestly, even though I had made a commitment to this one show. And I finished off last season sitting in number two, a girl. Uh, I have not even turned on a single game this year. And I think the rest of America yep. is saying the same thing. So, you know, you wrote an article, uh, was it last year, about this whole incident, about the cowardice of the NFL owners. And you mentioned in that yep. article uh, that, you know, millions of Americans go to work and respect the rules of their workplace and behave with decorum. So why are these NFL players thinking that they're so elite that they can break the rules of the game, they can turn around to the fans and say, I'm going to take your money, and you're going to have to sit there and watch me protest. Not play the game, but you have to watch me protest. That's not what I'm paying you for. That's not the job I'm paying you to do. And you just, you just nailed it. You nailed it in so many different ways. But, but what we have to understand is this. Um, there's a reason. Well, we're three years into this, and the NFL hasn't figured it out. Uh, they are taking advantage of these players. The players don't know any better. As I mentioned before, they've been trained to be little Marxists and socialists. No one, they have no incentive in their community. Think about this where they're growing up the last 18, 20 years. They have not placed a flag in their classroom. They have not said a prayer. They have 70% and sometimes 80% of their dads are not around. So they have no idea what respect is for family, for jobs, for women. have no clue. So they get on and they do what they do best. They emotionally, they get tied into this, 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 this narrative, and they put their, their, their careers at risk. The real culprit of this process are these owners. And I, I made this point just recently. These owners know exactly what they're doing. They're not paid on filling stadiums. They're paid big bucks on TV revenue. They're, they're maxed out at $13 billion in, in, uh, in U.S. TV revenue, but they're not satisfied with that. They're globalists. And they, they see an a, a international global uh, uh, TV revenue that far precedes what's happening here in the United States. Understand, if you think about what the soccer league does, soccer has over 200 different countries that tie in every single year, and all that TV revenue goes to one place. There's a lot of money being made. Well, the NFL has been over the last decade or so, this now in 80 countries. In countries like China and, and um, uh, France and, and other places that are not so hot on America. They don't mind hearing how bad and how racist a country is. So what the NFL is basically doing, these, these owners, they understand that they can demean the American brand, the American culture, the American people. It's going to be more accepted in places like China and France and London, where they plan on having their expansion. They see themselves as one day having 200 countries tied in with no, no U.S. brand, just a gold brand, and making billions of dollars more. Matter of fact, they're projecting the next nine years that their their rest TV world the global revenue will be twenty seven billion. Now keep in mind, they capped out at three billion three years ago and been going going south ever since. But yet we have a, a, a commissioner that's been paid just got signed a contract last year for forty million dollars per year. Only ten percent of that is guaranteed. The rest ninety percent is based on growth incentives. He's not gonna have any growth incentives in the United States guys. They've made it very clear. And this is the same league that if you were were, were to wear a red stock, when you're supposed to wear a white stock, 
they will sign you until you get it right. And yet you have these guys that that literally are uh, that that are disrespecting out the fans that pay them, disrespecting the country that gave them opportunities, and these globalists who are making billions of dollars in this country are not satisfied. They're going to trade us in for the international fan so they can make more. That is the problem we have with the worst of the worst. These are socialist globalists who care less about our country, care less about our flag, and willing to give up everything and anybody, sacrifice anything and anybody so they can make their money. So I'm hoping that Americans wake up. I, I too, just like you, I haven't watched the game in two years. Well, I watched, I watched the Super Bowl last year because no, neither team was kneeling. Other than that, I've not seen a, a game in two years. Don't plan on it. We'll not be paying for a ticket. And I'm hoping that what we do in the country is recognize if the players are being used, if the NFL owners, the green owners, with these billion-dollar uh, uh, stadiums across this country, that's not enough for them. You need to find a way to punish them by turning off their, turn off, uh, their, their sponsors. We'll sponsor these guys. We need to, we need to turn, turn them off and not, not support them. Maybe that might get their attention, and then they'll fire this, this liberal, socialist, globalist commissioner. And give it to Condoleezza Rice, <laughs> right? Yeah, there we go. First She'll get it right. She'll do it right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what the real shame is, is that, you know, if anyone lives or has a business in the area of the stadium, the revenue to the small business owner, the people that park the cars, the people that are the vendors in the stands, the people that service the, the stadiums, you know, it's it's a small guy that is getting hurt the worst about it. And as you said, these globalists sit in their ivory towers and say, you know, pardon my language, but screw you to the rest of America mm-hmm. and the poor the poor local guy, the guy that you know works on weekends as a second job to feed their family and put the kids through college. They're the yeah. ones that are getting hurt. Well, this is this is the the theme, the motto of the left. I always remember this. They use, abuse, and discard. That is the way of leftists. That's the way of socialist Marxists and atheists. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. They're using these black uh, NFL players as props. Um, uh, you know, it, it is, and, and you're right. And I think about uh, these uh, these towns that pay billions of dollars for these NFL teams to come in and build stadiums, and then years later they decide that's not enough money, so I'm going to go someplace else. And they leave them with this big eyesore and big bills. That they know that they that they have that this town and community still has to pay off while they go on and make beans and, and, and get all the tax benefits that we've given to our government. So I, this the greatest thing about this conversation, guys, and, and when I talk about the, the the eighth miracle, President Trump being elected was the greatest thing that happened to the black race and to our country as a whole. We would not be having this conversation about our flag if not for President Trump, who drew a line in the sand and said, nope. We're not going to let you disrespect our flag, disrespect our culture. We're going to stand against you. If it's nothing for that move, guess what? We would not be, be doing this national anthem uh, in these stadiums anymore because they would have decided on their own it's too political, and nobody would have stood up for us, and we would have just, it would have gone the way of other things. So we have a, we have a league that is going the, the direction of the roller derbies. I don't know if you guys remember roller derbies. When I was a kid, that was a big deal. <laughs> yes. But they keep this up. Yep. They keep this up, and that's what we'll be thinking about them. Nobody wants to watch them. Nobody cares. And these NFL players who, who had such a remarkable platform to do great things, to make a lot of money, and to be respected, is losing all of that. Nobody wants to bring a guy in who's a Marxist. Nobody wants to watch a guy who's a Marxist. If these NFL players don't get it and don't understand it, they are literally destroying their own brand before their own eyes as more of us decide, I don't really like the NFL brand after all. 
and they lose a lot of their clout in the process of going, of going that route. But they don't understand that. In some kind of way, we have to get that message to them, that they have a vision, because they're destroying not only their lives and livelihood, but all those kids who can come behind them that in the past would have had a great opportunity will not, because the NFL just doesn't mean that much to us anymore. No, it, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And, you know, it's funny because you say Trump is the eighth miracle. And just prior to the election, I had a pastor on, and he was one of the major anti-Trump, you know, never-Trump people. And his statement on air was that, it, he, that he's a sinful man, God's will. And I said to him, how do you know what God's will is? And naming <laughs> one of the apostles uh, or one of the disciples that was not a sinner, that how many miracles he, he performed with <laughs> sinners. And what about Paul, who actually went out and, and uh, uh, oh, good Lord, I just had a major brain fart, uh, persecuted yeah, exactly. his fellow Jews. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so Paul, the greatest one, Saul, our, our Paul, the founder upon this rock my church is built, Peter, you know, these were all sinful individuals. So how do you know God will not work miracles through sinful people? David, who slew his his uh, brother to get his wife. You know, uh, oh, yes. you yes. go on yes. and on and on. And that God throughout throughout the Old and New Testament has worked through sinners. I mean, he refused to allow Moses to enter the promised land because he bore false witness. But yet Moses yeah. is well, the well, man who brought <laughs> the Jews out of Egypt after sl- slaying one of the Egyptians. <laughs> well, here's, it's crazy. Here's, here's the thing. is that First of all, your, 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 your grasp of history uh, is only because you were taught by your parents the ability to read and have critical thinking and to retain and to be able to articulate. That's, what, that's where the left is, has attacking our kids. Uh, we have our kids who cannot read those same scriptures. They have no idea what it's all about. And here's the other thing we have to recognize. Uh, we, we can't convince elitists not to be elitists. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that same pastor was the same one who voted for Obama, who was, uh, it was okay with killing uh, for our, our, our black uh, women to abort 1,800 of their babies every single year and call it um, health care. Uh, I, I would imagine that the things that, I guess what I'm saying is we have to make sure that we're looking to the right source and, 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 our, and our leaders are reflecting our values, not us just being a part of, of, of being a brand of theirs. I think we have too many, too many of our, our countrymen and women now that are just so enamored by politicians that whatever they do and say, we're, we're going to be okay with it. Instead of realizing that just men and women like we all are making mistakes, all have an agenda, whether it be good or bad, and they need to be held accountable when they cannot produce and our families are being pushed into more misery. They need to be fired, very simply. If we do that, then, uh, then we'll, we'll come back. And that's, that's why the midterms will be so important, guys. We, we have to get our race, our, our race, particularly our race, to recognize what's happening in the last two and a half years. And, yes, we've been lied to by the Democratic Party. And, yes, we're leaving the plantation once and for all. We need to leave a lot, lot faster. We, have to leave, we, need, we need to leave faster than the Democrats are willing to pull in these illegals who are going to replace us. That's what that's all about. They're replacing the black vote by illegals who care less about our country, don't know nothing about our country, but are looking to be dependent on our country. So if we understand that, then the black Americans come out, turn up against these black pastors who are nothing but socialists and leftists and anti-God. I mean, it's amazing to me that people call us over for what the Democratic Party means. I don't get it. 
I don't get that. Uh, so uh, if, if that's the case, we need to, as Americans, recognize that either we either we, we stand in the in, in the position of our country and our God and our family, or we stand against it. If we vote for people who tear down our country, tear down our families, uh, demean our God and our, and, our, and our culture, that's not godly. And we need to recognize if we don't vote the right way, we will not be blessed the right way. You know, it's, it's funny because you said so much that is so important. And last night I had my Tea Party meeting, and I keep on telling people it's important to know what's going on from the grass roots all the way on up. You have to know who's on your school board. You have to know who's on your city or county council. You have to know these individuals because they control everything, starting with the kids. And we had a really great meeting. We had we have uh, 11 seats on the uh, school board. Seven of those 11 seats are up for re-election. And we have 13 yeah. challengers for those seven seats. I've had 11 of those challengers in my meetings over the last two months where the public was able to come out and ask really important questions. And one of the things that they were asking and they got a lively discussion on was involving the local community, the churches, and the local businesses in helping these kids develop skills that would help enrich in their ability to read and write, to think critically, to involve yeah. not government, but <laughs> the local communities and local churches. And what you said is so important because everything that you just said right there is what we discussed last night and why local politics are so important. It's, it's called We the People, the first three words of our Constitution, the most powerful words ever put together in the history of mankind. It means so much, we the people. And you're absolutely right. We the people are not electing folks, these senators and presidents, go out and do what we should be doing ourselves. We need to take care of our kids. We need to be involved. And I'm so glad to hear that. I really am, Tammy, because that's what it comes down to. As we get more involved at the grassroots, they lose, they lose more and more power at the higher levels. And that's why they... They, they, they work so hard against that process. So we the people is where our answers are, and I'm just excited by the fact that we're waking up. Our country's waking up. We realize we're in a fight. Like 9-11 and, and Pearl Harbor, we recognize it with Kavanaugh, particularly with Kavanaugh deal, this country is in an attack. Manhood is under attack. That can happen to anybody. Just imagine, it can happen to anybody. With the way these people are thinking now, it doesn't matter what your life is, how much you've done to, to make a great thing in your life, people can come and destroy your reputation in a heartbeat and think nothing of it because they have an agenda. That should never be the case in America. Men and women should Not. be able to work their lives, put their, place, their reputation in place, put their name, their family's name up in life and be proud of it and not worry about some knucklehead coming along and destroying them because they don't feel good <laughs> when they woke up at that point. Well, first, That's people can go to your website. Nevertheless, by the way, it's old school. That's where I was going with my dad. Okay. <laughs> well, people can go to your website and learn more about you. You also have now two books out. The first one was Liberal, <laughs> if I can talk straight now, Liberalism or How to Turn Good Men into Whiners, Weenies, and Wimps. And I loved that book. I really do. And I can't wait to read the new one that is coming out in exactly two weeks titled Why I Stand. From Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. As a matter of fact, Burgess, I make it a hold this summer because I haven't booked anyone in that uh, October 30th slot, and that's your book release date. So how does it sound if okay. I have her have you come back on and get me a copy of the book to read? 
Okay, put 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 uh, put that in. Just on the call. By the way, Curtis is in the back of it. Curtis, I don't know if you knew that, but you're one of the, the guys that points in the very back of my book. So uh, yeah, uh, you'll see his that. contact information. Absolutely. No, I say conservatism right. is, is our answer, and we need to have people understand that uh, it's not one or two of us. We're all over the place. We're doing our thing, loving our country, and making a difference. So uh, it's going to work out just fine. So I'll uh, well, we'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah, score yeah, ten, touch base with Summer. And let's, let's see if we make it happen. I'd love to. All right. Burgess Owens, check out his new book, Why I Stand From the Killing Fields of Social from, from Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. Thanks a lot, Burgess. God bless you for all the hard work you're you best, do. Sir. And, and you guys, you can find me at uh, BurgessOwensTalks.com or my, uh, my, my Facebook page, uh, Burgess Owens Official. And let's do this again real soon, okay? I look forward to, to hanging out with you guys again. All right? All right, my friend. Always our pleasure. Okay. All the best, guys. Take care. Take care. Burgess Owens, check out his stuff. I mean, I love having him on. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, when I walk past the TV in the living room, Curtis, I'm always, I always have a lot of fun when I see a guest that we've had on here suddenly now up on Fox News. And we had that with Gregory Wrightstone because Gregory Wrightstone, we were the first interview with him right after his book was released. And then with a matter of days, Fox News had him on. That said, this could be a good segue to bring in our next guest, uh, also an author. If I can get my paperwork here together, and I got myself a little back back password <laughs> here, uh, Scott A. Shea, Scott. who happens to be uh, the CEO of S- Signature Bank, but he is a, a fantastic author. He has a book out called "In Good Faith: Questioning Religion and Atheism." So, welcome aboard, Scott. How are you today? I'm great, and it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Annie. You're well-known all over the country, even up here in the Northeast. (laughs) I love a good BSer. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the banking I I, I gather that, yes. I read your biography, and I had a lot of fun uh, reading your book. And to be quite honest, uh, when I was reading your book, uh, my church has been doing this where you read a portion of the Bible every day, you know, for six mm-hmm. days. And then, of course, Sunday we go to service and listen to the sermons. So you take a day of rest, basically. And, you know, as I was reading it, you know, you read that so-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so. And I'm going, why do I have to, what does this have to do? You know, what does it have to do with the you know, scriptures and the upcoming New Testament? And then reading your book, I began to get it. I began to understand, and it's like a light bulb went out in my in my head. And last night I was reading Leviticus, and I'm going, what do I care about how they burnt the offerings? And again, I then began to think about your book, and I said, oh, I get it. It's baby steps. We have to come back to faith through baby steps. And you taught me a lot, and I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. I mean, my book is basically about why it's rational to believe in God in the modern era with all we know about science, the historicity of the Bible, and our modern morality, and why the the messages of the Bible are as essential today as they ever were. And I'm hoping that, you know, people get comfortable with because what I've learned in my life is the less people know about the Bible, the less they like it. And one of the goals of my book was to turn that around. 
that that you gave me a, a really good because I like the New Testament because I can understand it, but now understanding why the Old Testament was written the way it was written to show us that you know here we are a people of sin, and we fell so far that we we've, we've forgotten God, we completely forgot Him. We created idols, and you talk about idol, uh, idols in your book a lot and explain how it how we have it in our daily lives. And it got me really to think, which I'd love to do, but, you know, you had me putting it down, pausing, and just thinking it through and saying, I, yeah, I get it. I really do get it. You know, we are so busy in our daily lives that we forget about God. We worry more about how many uh, followers we have in face on Facebook or any other of these social medias, you know, you you worry about you know whether or not to get your chin lifted, your tummy tucked, or whatever. You know you talk about all this and how it applies even to the Ten Commandments. How we we may be violating them without realizing it. Well, I think the key thing here, and I'm glad you touched on the other major message of my book is, which also I think people overlook in this day and age, which is idolatry. You know we think we licked idolatry. 3,800 years ago with the God King Pharaoh. But what I do is to show how, I don't call it the Old Testament, I call it the Hebrew Scriptures, because uh, they were all written in Hebrew, is, um, uh, is what the definition of idolatry is from, uh, again, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which is lies about power. And what idolatry is, is ascribing supernatural powers or super authority to finite beings, uh, people, elements, or ideologies. So while we thought we licked the God King Pharaoh, in the 20th century, 30 million people marched to their death because Mao told them to. Um, Stalin sent tens of millions of people to the Gulag, and people did it. No one questioned his authority because he had super authority. Same thing with Pol Pot, who, who, who um, murdered a quarter of the population of Cambodia. I don't need to talk about Hitler, um, and, and so on. And we see idolatry continue um, you know, in our modern era, and, and that's what the Bible came to do. It came to overturn I have a chart in my book about where was their monotheism in the, in the world and where was, where was their idolatry. Well, it was a little tiny speck in the Middle East of, of a monotheistic people. The rest of the world, everywhere, whether it was known to the Western, whether it was known or not known to the, to, to the folks in, in, in the Middle East and Europe, everywhere else there was idolatry, which is, seems to be our default mode. And what the book comes to say is you have to be really, really aware of what idolatry is because it takes a lot of different, a lot of different guises. Um, and I'm, I, I, you know, and, and, and I think people really uh, connect with that. They really connect with that. Well, you also talked about, and I thought it was funny because, you know, the time you were riding the Lexington Avenue line, I was a cop in New York. Uh, so I, I uh. had the, a good good image of what you were talking about. But you talked about a friend that would give you a carpool ride. Uh, he would pick you up on the corner, and you had this religion uh, debate. And you notice that people that chase things like fame, money, 
they are the idolaters. Uh, whereas if you have believe there's a higher purpose for us and there is a higher being that is guiding us, uh, there's a different outcome and in the way in which you look at life. Absolutely. So that fellow who gave who saved me from taking the Lexington line downtown every day when there, before there was air conditioning or heat on these trains, um, he my payment was to listen to him. And these were the you know ancient days when there weren't cell phones and so you know I had, there was no distractions. And he would have called himself an atheist, but in reality I call him a, you know sort of a Machiavellian idolater. Because he did have a God, but the God was himself. The God was anything that was good for him was good. And it didn't matter if he were, you know, ripping off the person on the other end of the line who he was trading with because it didn't matter. Um, If he could get away with something, and this goes partially to explain what happened in 2008. He loved detailed rules because the more detailed the rules were, the more you could figure out how to work around them, how to find loopholes. So, you know, you didn't have to worry about the spirit of the rules. And, and he viewed anybody above him as someone to flatter, just like people used to flatter the, the, the priests and the ruling class. And he wanted to get more power. He wanted to get more money. And if people on the way got ruined, well, it, he wasn't connected to them. I mean, the, the, the Bible starts with the key point that we're all, we all possess a divine spark. We all have this godliness in us. But he, as a Machiavellian atheist, was really an idolater because he had a God. It was him. And no one else shared that same spark of godliness. He, he had it himself. And, and that's the thing that I think people miss. And I'll, I'll give you another example. It happened in New York. It's happened elsewhere. We had an attorney general here by the name of Eric Schneiderman. I don't know if you've heard about this case. It was one of the many cases where he abused his authority. He had people do all sorts of, uh, he, uh, um, of, uh, of um, sexual abuse. And he told, he told the people he was abusing, he was the attorney general. He was the chief law officer of New York. That he couldn't be toppled, just like all of these other ancient, you know, the, all these ancient kings and just like, you know, Mao. I mean, I'm not putting him in that category, but the idea is the same. He w- couldn't be toppled. You had to do whatever he asked you to do, even if it was totally against your wishes. And we unfortunately see these abuses of power today, but I, I think it's just another word for not recognizing idolatry, not recognizing that there's another power, a higher power, and not recognizing that there's a truth to that higher power that helps us lead our lives. So, you know, when, when I first started the show about a little over eight years ago, I had someone call in, he was an atheist, and tried to explain to me that there can be no God, you know, because it was a chemical reaction that created life. And my question to him was, well, who put the chemicals there? <laughs> that ended the conversation. That's one way in which you can easily, you know, defeat an atheist. But do you have them where they, they simply believe there is nothing higher than them? So how do you explain to them there is something higher? 
So in other words, how do you tell them religion is not bunk? Right. So that's one of my one of my chapters is, you know, uh, which the atheists claim religion. It's not religion for dummies, but they think the book should have, you know, been named not religion for dummies, but religion is for dummies. And I think the biggest problem and this is a huge problem um, that shouldn't be underestimated is many of our children go to university, go to college. And the first thing they're told is that. Um, if you believe in God, you're either not yet educated, you don't believe in science, um, you're clinging to your parents' superstitions, or you're just very gullible. And what I tried to do in the book, and the reason you've read the book, so you know, I footnoted the book, I had a, have a whole section on science in the Bible, on the historicity of the Bible, is to say, look, we as believers can stand up and shouldn't shy away from any of the questions that science or, you know, academics bring. There are good answers. There are um, scientifically valid answers. But on the other hand, and I, I do say this, I think there is no proof of God because you can always go into those, you know, do loops. Well, you know, who created God? How did you, you know, who was here first? And I think we're finite beings and we can't understand the infinite. And therefore I think those sorts of conversations usually go in circles. But as I show in my book, it is at least as I, 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 what I show in my book is that the evidence for God is stronger than the evidence for no God. And, and, and it's consistent and that the universe as we know it, is more consistent with there being a monotheistic, a one God who created nature than all of the other atheist theories um, and scientific theories that, that, that don't have a God. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I've been happy to hear is I've sent my book and even have some blurbs from atheists, and what I really like doing is giving people doubt about their doubts. That's a good one. No, but you also get the the argument. Uh, there's been more damage, more war, and more death in the name of religion than anything else. Yes, that's a common question that I get. And so, first of all, I go through, and if you go through the roster of all wars, probably the most you can get is the ten percent of all wars had religion as a putative cause. The other 90%, they might have been, people might have said that there was a religious aspect, but what they were really about was sort of the old-fashioned idolatrous um, uh, motivations such as power, money, slaves, people, um, resources. Really, 90% of all wars, you can't uh, ascribe a a religious um, 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 side to. Now, the one thing that I think is critical, and I, 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 I think we as religious folks have to be mindful of this, is that the way we Jews count it, the third, it's the third commandment. The way Christians count it, it's the second commandment, which is not taking God's name in vain. Low, you know, not to take, in, you know, in, in Hebrew it's Bashav. And it's the only commandment, interestingly enough, if you look at the top, the Ten Commandments, 
It's the only commandment for which there is no forgiveness. Um, So what does it mean to take God's name in vain? It means any time you, any time a monotheist sets him or herself up as the sole spokesperson for God. When we do that and when people do that, when they say, you know, you don't have to, you part your reason at the door. Just listen to me and I'll tell you what God wants without question. Don't even think about it. Um, then you can create, you know, essentially idolatry in monotheistic, um, in monotheistic garb. And that's, that's when the bad things happen. That's when the horrors happen, actually. And so even some of those wars are frankly um, what I would construe as, uh, as um, idolatrous as well. You know, when I was reading that passage, (laughs) when I was reading that passage, uh, it made me flash back because I was uh, in the hospital. One of the many times I was in the hospital, and I was in uh, cardiac intensive care at that time. Oh my gosh! Listed on the. That's all right. (laughs) I'm doing fine. Don't worry about that. Uh, The good Lord takes care of me. Uh, But I was uh, in the hospital bed, and I had listed on the hospital uh, uh, when I, I when it was put in that I was Roman Catholic. So in comes this Roman Catholic deacon, and he's looking at me because I haven't seen you in church. And I said, no, I haven't been lately. And he turns around and he goes, you're going to burn in hell. And I thought of you when you were writing in the book, and I'm going, hmm, I wonder which one of us is going there now with what was going on in the back right. of my mind. Do you know this guy did that to me three separate times? <laughs> and three oh, separate no. hospital stays. So consequently, I'm no longer a member of the Catholic Church and belong to the Anglicans. So they don't tell me I'm going to burn in hell if I miss a day or two. But oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. that. No, I can't Which believe that. That's, you know, that's why uh, in many ways religious institutions can be their own worst enemy. Yes. Absolutely. Scott. But... But you know, we, we when 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 we have a saying, and that sometimes is in in in, in um, it's actually said when um, when uh, someone converts many times to Judaism, it says at the at the ceremony. There's a phrase that said, you know, God is perfect, the Torah, uh, the five books of Moses is perfect, but the Jews themselves are not yet perfect. You know, we know we're you know flawed people, um, and and you know we have to recognize that even though the Bible is perfect, um, there's a lot of people who do not live up to um, to its mandate. That's why I said, by the way, it's interesting you mentioned Leviticus, because I have one chapter in my book that says if you read only one chapter of the Bible, read Leviticus 19. Because Leviticus, and you, you really, I mean, I hope people read more than that of the Bible, but every phrase in Leviticus 19 is, you know, uh, to, um, uh, you know, have fair weights and measures, to not um, mislead people, to not abuse people, to not put a stumbling block in front of people, because I am the Lord your God. And every one of the statements throughout Leviticus 19 says, Anytime you do something with a counterparty or have an interaction with a counterparty, you know, a friend, a business associate, the person on the line, like me and you, there's really three people 
involved in that encounter. There's you, your counterparty, and God. God is the eternal witness. And if that priest had been thinking, well, what would God, you know, what does God think of me telling this person, um, you, that you're going to go to hell? Well, first of all, that's God's decision. That's not this fellow's decision. And if you're in the hospital and someone is telling you something like that, heaven forbid, that's a, that's, that's a sin in and of itself. I mean, I can't, it's, it, and, but if you, if you have the mindset that God is there too, well, you might think twice about saying really stupid stuff like that. One might. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for you just listening too. to this. Scott. Curtis, go ahead. Yeah, when the Curtis? subject when the subject of proving God's existence come up in conversations with me, I used I, I love to use this analogy and it's this Give me your most complex and most sophisticated Swiss watch and have somebody take it apart piece by piece and then put it in a box and shake it and then toss it on the table and toss it and keep tossing it until, you know, it, it puts itself back to, together again. And they look at me and say, well, that'll never happen, you know. It's too complex. And I said, well, man is a thousand times more complex and more sophisticated um, an entity than that watch. So if it stands that that watch needs somebody to put it together, what about man? And that shuts them up. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. That is a very interesting way. Scott, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I I think that, so what I try to say in the book, though, is that proving God is really hard. But just like you're saying, the evidence, there's lots of evidence there. I mean, and I also say something that I think is critical, um, which is a reason why we can never prove God and why proving God has its own dangers. And that is something I call the theosic principle, which is what does the universe have to look like? I'm in my, what does the universe have to look like if um, there is to be a God who is described as he is in the Bible, who judges us, who... Um, is omnipotent, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, which is we can't have certainty of God in the world. Because if we did, if there were no, there were no uncertainty, if you knew that God was right there and that any time you, um, you know, went over the speed limit, any time you said anything that wasn't um, totally true, any time you did anything, that a lightning bolt would strike you down, and that would be the end of you, or just even less than being the end of you, if just a lightning bolt came down and just gave you an electrical shock, well, you would, never, you would no longer be um, responsible for your own moral decisions because good people and bad people would all do the exact same thing. There would be no value to your actions. And we live in this complex world where, the real test, and I think that you know, a lot, we fa- we all face a lot of tests. That priest who spoke to you certainly faced the test, and how he was going to react with you, and 
we do every day is how will we react and, and how should we be judged? And so I shy away from the idea of certainty um, because the universe and, and, and the world is described in the Bible, I think, um, couldn't really exist if there were total certainty of God. And that's our test. Absolutely. And you, you show in the Bible where God w- works us up to a manner in which we are able to exist as a people to have a moral compass. We were given first the seven commandments through Noah and then later on the Ten Commandments. And it repeats throughout the Bible the same commandments over and over and over again until you know them almost by heart, or you should know them by heart. And then with creating just one God instead of all these idols to worship, you were able to create a society that would show and be a shining example upon the hill. Right. That's 100% right, is that, you know, we... I think we monotheists believe that, and I and I think this is a this is and it's one thing I show in my book in good faith, which is um, if you look at societies that become idolatrous, ultimately their own contradictions and their own evil devours them at some point. I mean, look, the Israelites were. If you go to the British Museum, you as you you know enter, there's a statue of um, of a Sargon II and his son uh, Sennacherib. And just speaking as a Jewish person, the nice thing about going into the British Museum and seeing that is that um, Sargon II wiped out the top the, the ten nations. He deported the ten northern nations of northern Israel, and sadly created a real death blow to a huge number of Israelites and scattered them. And Sennacherib, his son, essentially exiled um, uh, the rest of the Jews, um, you know, not that many years later. But you know what? Uh, last I heard, there was no Assyrian Empire. Um, it's, a, it's an empire that indeed devoured itself and, you know, and, and the Bible explains a little bit how it devoured itself, but there's still a monotheistic idea. There's still an idea that descends from those tiny Israelite community that has expanded throughout all of the monothe- monotheism and you know what and 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 Christianity. You know, I, I like to point out that uh, the only nation in the world that was able to be born over and over again is Israel. You think about that. You, know, you were a people and you scattered. You came back and you scattered. And Israel now once again exists. It's the only nation that has been reborn over. A hundred percent correct, which is why in my book I felt it was important to put in other voices, um, you know, from other, uh, you know, uh, many of the Christian communities that uh, that have been, that, that have a, you know, to take that same view as being that they're in, you know, different ways, new Israel. Um, so I interviewed Cardinal Dolan. Um, I interviewed, by the way, a, 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 a Anglican minister, you'll be happy to know, Reverend uh, Chloe Breyer. Um, I interviewed, you know, all sorts of people from diverse Christian uh, um, groups because um, I didn't want it to just be my Jewish voice. Um, I wanted 
You know, if you're going to, that's why I, and then that's why when I titled it In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism, I wanted also question religion because there are some things that religion, as you, you know, let off with the comment about the priest and others and with wars that need to be answered as well. Um, it's not enough to say the atheists are wrong. We have to believe why religion is right and why religion is important and why we why it's uh, the the the, um, the 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 backbone of what makes life worth living. Yeah, because you, again, you point out how the Israeli uh, government was able to be set up. You know, following the Ten Commandments and how it was used as an example for everyone else to see and follow, and. It, why you were able to have a community that was thriving because of the way these rules were set up. A hundred percent. And look, I also make the argument in my book that if you even look to modern democracies and modern, our modern way of government, I mean, the, the Bible explains, um, the, the, the Bible explains that the Israelite kingdom is supposed to be the first kingdom with checks and balances. So you have the king who is not allowed to legislate, actually. He's a, sort of a president. He has more power than you know, presidents in, in, you know, in the U.S. But he has to have the Torah. He has to have the five books of Moses in one arm. And during his reign, he has to write the Torah from scratch. So he's, that's the legislation. He can execute. He can declare war. He can fight. He can do all sorts of things. He can raise taxes. But then you have the high priest, you don't have the, the, the king in charge of religion. I mean, there were a few that sort of, you know, uh, had some overlap, like David who wrote the Psalms and Solomon who wrote three books of the Bible. But by and large, you had the religious part, certainly the, the temple service part, conducted by the priests. Then you had the Sanhedrin and the subsidiary courts that were the judicial branch. And then... You had the prophets who were the original, you know, folks saying um, truth to power. So you had a highly, highly, um, a highly, highly um, decentralized check and balance um, government. And, you know, it was really only in the, in the, you know, sort of in the Enlightenment, actually before the Enlightenment, when you had John Milton referring to rabbinic sources, actually, um, uh, you know, describing the Israelites, how they decided to do a monarchy by essentially public referendum. And you had John Selden, and you had Thomas Hobbes, and you had Hugo Grotus, and um, Petrus uh, Junius. And even Tom Paine in his Republican pamphlets, you know, for the American Revolution, referred to the argument of uh, from the referred to arguments from the from the Old Testament, from the Bible. So, I think that these ideas of the Bible have been so overlooked, um, and they need to be put back on the table. And that's why I have no problem, you know. You know, talking to academics and others to say uh, a lot of what you, a lot of the complaints about the Bible are because people haven't looked at it closely enough, and it's time 
to take a close look at it. And, and frankly, again, I think it's most important. I found a lot of readers um, who said they bought the book that told me that the first people in their home reading the book are their kids who are back from college <laughs> or even 16-year-olds. I have a few people tell me they're 16-year-olds. Um, are reading are reading my book because again there's you know in the, in our modern in our modern society we're just told that, that the Bible doesn't have relevance and I I fundamentally fundamentally disagree with that. Well, you know the thing is is that you know people need something to believe in, and if government is what is going to be the, in place of God government cannot provide what God does. So people always feel as if something's missing, something's lacking. And if they feel something's missing or lacking, they're going to search for it elsewhere, whether it's in politics, whether it's in violence. They're going to take something else up to fill that void. But that void can never be filled until you understand that there is a higher purpose. Once they take God away from us, you find our moral values uh, devolve. You know, you have uh, where anything... if it feels good, like your friend did, if it feels good and if it's for me, then it has to be good. No, that's not true. What, what about the moral values that you were talking about? Who's the person on the other end of that trade that's being ripped off? We lose the moral value when we lose God, when we lose faith in something better, to strive to be better. And I think that's what we're seeing in kids today. They're looking for something to fill that void. And if they turn to your book and turn to the Bible then you have created a small miracle one by one. Well, I, uh, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm working at that. And, and, you know, I think we all have a responsibility. Um, we all have a responsibility to try to convey that message because it's a message we need. We need, we need desperately. There was a philosopher called Kurt Gerdahl, Kurt Gerdahl, should I say, who said that if people stop believing in God, they'll believe in anything. And we're seeing it more and more. People believe in the strangest things. And yet everybody, even on the left, who, you know, says we don't need God. Well, you know, all the ideas of abolitionism, you know, Frederick Douglass uh, talked about the, um, you know, he was, he, he used the language of the Bible. Nat Turner used the language of the Bible. The original feminists like Francis Willard used the language of the Bible. I mean, all these ideas that people... Um, say are non, not ideas from the Bible, that they're atheist ideas, that they're progressive ideas. I have to tell you, those ideas in many ways too came from the Bible, but because they're no longer tethered to religious belief, they can go off in any direction. And, and that's why I, I just really want people to take another look at the Bible and there's so many stories in the Bible. It's hard for even me to, 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 you know, I can't even pick favorites. There's just so many stories. And, and almost every day I see something that's relevant to a Bible story. Absolutely. And when I was reading it and you were talking about the establishment of government using the Ten Commandments, you know, I immediately thought of our Declaration of Independence and of our Constitution and how our founding fathers were so steeped in the knowledge and understanding of it that they were able to incorporate it without directly saying, uh, except for at one point in the um, preamble of the uh, Constitution where they recognized that these laws come from a higher power. 
uh, also in the Declaration of Independence, they they recognized the Creator in the Declaration of Independence. And when you were t- talking about uh, Moses leading the Jews out of the wilderness when they finally rebelled, that's in the Declaration of Independence that uh, mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. It's, it, our founding fathers were well steeped in this, and we have to bring this back to our children and to everyone, actually. Um, you show how, how a lot of things are all coerced around the truths in the Bible. Yep, I mean the whole preamble of the, you know, the whole preamble of the American Constitution essentially says what, you know, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union establish justice, which is justice justice you shall um pursue um according to the Bible in two places, primarily in Leviticus, ensure domestic tranquility, which is what um also biblical, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. That's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to, I think the Bible says that if we get it right, we get the blessings of liberty. But if we get it wrong, unfortunately, we get the curses. And, and you know, and we, we just, again, makes it so important to get it right. And, and I'm I think this is all. I think this is all in the Bible again, and 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 I I just I try to in my book in good faith I try to um, give a number of examples that are I think critical. I mean I'll give you one example. We you know we Jews you were talking about how you. Um, read a chapter every day so um, of the Bible every day. So I think there's 929 chapters, if I'm not mistaken. So you can cover that in uh, three-ish years. So I'm wishing you well on that. Keep doing Actually, it. it's do more it than one chapter. It's a, it's a couple of days. So. Okay, well, I'm just counting yeah. the, the Hebrew Scriptures, by the way, for 929. So <laughs> you've got more to cover than me. Um, yeah. But I would say, um, and if you're doing a few, that's good. But we just we read a section a week. It's called the the on, on Shabbat. We read the Torah portion every week. And um, this past week we read a story that people. You were talking about the begotten chapters, right? Well, it comes right by the begotten chapters, chapter eleven of the Bible. And I'm gonna. It says at least the Hebrew words the. the the whole world, the whole community, the whole you know land. It doesn't say the whole earth. The whole land, wherever this takes place, was part had one language, and although Dvarim Achadim is translated generally as one common purpose, this is why I love learning in Hebrew in all candor. Is it's much more difficult to translate that. Achadim means um, a few, several, and that modifies the word dvarim, which could mean a few ideas, a few words. Now, back in chapter 10, people overlook this. In chapter 10, verse 5, it says that um, there were many peoples and many nations, each with their own language. If you go back to, if you go back to 10, 5, each according to their own language. So you had lots of families, lots of languages, and suddenly 
everybody is in one um, place or one ruler, and they're just focused on a few things, right? That's unfortunately what happens when we have um, tyranny. We're all organized into just a few different um, – we all we all are – have to have the same language. We have to have the same ideas. If we don't, if we permit diversity of ideas and of thinking that somehow things are bad. Interestingly enough, I wasn't planning on saying this, but you know, when I talked about Sargon II, one of the things it says in the British Museum, if you read the translation there when you go in, is that Sargon required that everybody have the same language, that they all speak whatever Assyrian was at the time. So he, he too was. That's the way he built empire was to scatter the, the the ten the ten you know nations the ten tribes of Israel make them and everybody else he conquered speak Assyrian, and then just have a few ideas, Dvarim Achadim, um, a few. Isn't things. that what they're doing and, today? Isn't that today globalism? Well, that's Isn't what that, I'm what, saying is that that's an issue. Yeah. We use lose our uniqueness yeah, and don't for, go ahead. Well, we've got also questions in the ch- in the chat room coming up too. I don't want to ignore them uh, because you also addressed the three Abrahamic uh, religions: Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, but Islam was formed through violence. Uh, it was its intention was conquering. Uh, so the question is: is that how do we get it right if we're constantly battling Islam? Well, you know, I I think. I think that's a hard question. I, you know, as part of this, I spoke to um, a couple of Islamic leaders. I think, I think it's important for us to work really hard um, uh, to talk first, um, because unfortunately, we've all in this modern world. Um, we think it's modern, but we've become, um, you know much more tribal in certain regards. And the fact that it's hard to talk to other people, um, the fact that it's hard to have common ground just means that we have to do it more because the risk of not doing it more is that we do create, you know, wars and civil violence and the like. Um, And I think the lack of talking to each other, the lack of tolerating others, I mean, again, with the Tower of Babel story, is that um, uh, if somebody's not doing what you're doing, if they're not building the wall in the same way, if they're not stacking the, the bricks in the same way, um, they're not considered part of the group. There's, uh, and that's, and that's, very, that's very serious. I mean, that's not something that unfortunately we can solve on this radio show because we're talking to each other but we really need to keep talking and we need to keep talking even when it's really really hard to keep talking and really really when we don't want to keep talking well you know it's when you have islam that is looking to create the caliphate you have the islamists out there and just recently i think it was yesterday or the day before uh in brooklyn in crown heights brooklyn uh two jewish men were walking down the street one was being chased by a muslim uh, uh gypsy cab driver and i know the crown heights area very well because i was one of the cops over there when we had the crown heights riots if you remember back in the 80s on that um 
So when you have a battle, when you have one group that wants to conquer and make the caliphate, how do you have a conversation when they really don't want it? You do have, we had a guest on last week that's trying to reform Islam. She's got a good heart and good intentions, but once you change anything in Islam, it is no longer Islam. You're an apostate, you're subject to death. So it's very difficult to have a conversation when it's only one-sided. Well, it, it, you can't have, just as I was saying, you can't have a one-sided conversation, but here's the thing, and I think it goes back to, you know, um, it goes back to, you know, sex that have, one leader um, who's, you know, speaking for God, that's unfortunately when, when bad things happen. And sadly, it's happened in history, um, you know, a number of times on, when monotheists say, you know, for example, the Ayatollah, who is the sole spokesperson, the supreme leader of Iran, um, because he is viewed as the only person who can speak for God, that leads to essentially um, a you know what I described what the, the the concern of the third commandment is, which is taking God's name in vain. Um, I, I I the other reason I don't like certainty is because I'm always worried that people are too certain they you know can conduct they can not conduct they can do things that aren't um, aren't um, aren't really akin to the golden rule of recognizing the godliness in every single human being. And that's, I think, where we need to start is to recognize the godliness in every single human being. Now, if someone, if you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't recognize your godliness, that's a problem for how you're going to have that conversation. And I don't, I don't minimize that. Um, uh, I don't minimize that at all. But I suspect I'm talking to a group that is primarily Christian and, you know, maybe some Jews um, right now in this radio station. And I think the real key is what do we do about ourselves? And then, you know, then how do we communicate and co- and with others? I mean, I always like to start by trying to put my own house in order. Well, that's one of the things that uh, uh, we recognize because in, in our Sunday service, we go, um, if I remember how this goes, um, well, basically we, we say a prayer where you know, we recognize uh, that the first and primary uh, commandment is to love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul. And the second is unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself with all thy heart. Basically the golden rule, you know, recognizing yes. that thou shalt not take God's name in vain, and then to love thy neighbor as thyself, upon which all the commandments are based. These two commandments are upon which all the commandments are based. You know, so you, you try to love your, your neighbor as well as your enemy, but it's very difficult when you have an enemy that is based on evil. Its foundation, as far as I say, Islam was based upon evil because I have read the command, the Quran. I do know the basis of it. You know, Muhammad got his teachings on Christianity from a Nestorian bishop who thought he had someone who could act as a prophet. Prophet, he thought someone that had so much charisma he could teach him Christianity and help spread Christianity throughout the world. Well, he made a big mistake because Muhammad then took what he learned from this bishop, twisted it added it to the Quran, distorted it to the point where you have in the Quran verse after verse after verse that the Christians and the Jews should be slaughtered. 
So how do you separate any of those passages out of the Quran and find peace? It's, you can't separate any of the passages out of the Bible. So how, you can't do it to the Quran. Otherwise, you no longer will have you know, what you call Islam or Christianity or Judaism. Well, look, I'm not claiming to be, and I, and I, and I, I try to, when I you know, go on shows, and, and you know, I, I like to talk about what I'm an expert on, I think, and I, this has been my avocation okay. in addition to my banking. I, I can't say I'm an expert on the Quran or, any, you know, or, or really even politics. Um, because I'm just not, and I, I really try to talk about things that I'm competent to talk about. I mean, I can give you my opinions, but you can get those from, you know, uh, your viewers. I, you know, I've, on this book, I've spent five years working, so this is, you know, on, on, on those kind of topics, I think I'm just I'm more useful to, to you and your, your, your listeners and your fans. Well, your voice? Your voice is to mostly to Christians and Jews, and like I said, I learned a lot reading your book, and it opened my eyes into reading the Bible and understanding it better. And I'm glad that you know youth are out there becoming interested in it. And I hope that you know some of the listeners here, uh, we get the majority of people that listen to the show catch the podcast later on, and it's up in I don't know how many markets, as well as up on Facebook and YouTube right now. So hopefully we'll get some more books out there for you uh, because. I think that germ of thought that you had with your friend in that car ride was the start of the book, was it not? Well, actually, the start was, there were two starts. One is when I realized how many people were saying to me that they read Sapiens by Yuval Harari, or they read Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, and they became atheists. And I couldn't, or they even read How to Read the Bible by James Kugel, and they became atheists. I'm thinking, what's going on? So I started reading all those books myself. And then I had a lunch with someone who is a pretty well-known person, and he told me why he was an atheist and how, you know, why we should be enthroning man. And then I'm starting to meet college students, my, my, friends, uh, my, my children's friends, who are being told what I said before, which is that belief in God is irrational. And I, I just did not believe that. And I explained in the book, uh, in good faith, why I don't believe that. Uh, and I felt like no one was writing a book explaining why, you know, setting aside a particular, you know, form of monotheism, why just believing in one God was so important and why the Bible was so important and why it stands up to any academic criticism Without resorting to, um, without resorting to any hocus pocus, and 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 and, and there's just so many people who are getting are are getting turned off to religion because I think of of those sort of new atheists and 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 also what's going on when they go to university, university. It's hard. It's getting harder and harder to be a believer in many universities. It's it's not cool to to believe in God. It's not the cool thing to do. And if you do speak out in public, oh, how dare you? You're forcing your religion on me. You know, right. at one point, you used to have preachers standing on the corner and proclaim the word. And oh no, you can't. You know, you can't have this in public. 
where does it say in the Constitution that you cannot express your religious belief in public? As a matter of fact, it prohibits specifically against it, saying that you cannot prohibit the free expression thereof. So, you know, having a book like yours is important to explain to people that these rights have been given to us by God, whether you're a Christian or Jew or, or whatever you are. God is there for all of us, and we just have to understand how to recognize them, how to understand the Bible, and how to believe. I I, I think that's well said. And um, I, I do have to note that in a couple minutes I have to head off because I have a 4 o'clock uh, interview. The publicist has been pretty good on, on keeping me busy. Um, <laughs> so I just have a few more minutes. If you have a couple more questions, I'll have to sign up just a couple minutes before 4. I have a question. All right, we'll finish off with Curtis. Yes, hi, Curtis. All right. Do you think that people may be turning off to religion because of the um, the leadership across the board? I'm talking, you know, pastors and ministers who are found guilty of, you know, crime on children or something like that. Or you have ministers like Reverend Wright, you know, who are like anti-American and they're nationalists and, and people like Jesse Jackson and his little buddy Al Sharpton. Do you think that may have an impact on people turning away from religion just because they're tired of um, what they're hearing, what they're seeing from the leadership within these um, denominations? And that, oh. that includes what's going on in the um, Catholic Church, too. Oh, for sure. I mean, I talk about, you know, whether it's inflammatory imams or it's pedophile priests or it's red-handed rabbis. I mean, we have plenty of rabbis who have done stuff that uh, was uh, detestable. You know, I always want to start, you know, you have to start with your own as a part of, you know, getting your own house in order. We have, we have so many examples and that's where you have um, people who claim to be monotheists, but they really are idolaters, um, and and that's also why, you know, as I said before, it's not the institutions of religion that we should worship, but God. Um, I I tell in the book a story. I was um, at the time. This is before I was at the bank. This is in the nineties, where I was with a group that had bought some assets from the RTC, Resolution Trust Corp. At the time, this was after the. SNL, the savings and loan debacle. And there was one property, we'd go over all the assets every couple of weeks, and there was one asset that we couldn't figure out. It was an asset that didn't seem like it should have defaulted, but it did. And then all the money kept leaving, and we couldn't figure out why it didn't have money. Well, the company ended up, the building, or the, the, the entity ended up going bankrupt. And finally, the... Um, owner or the person who controlled it was interviewed by interviewed deposed by the bankruptcy trustee and by our attorney and this fellow was dressed in the garb of an orthodox uh, you know of a um, of a uh, uh, a traditionally orthodox Jew I don't know whether he was a rabbi or not but you know someone who would be you know, the garb you would see in Crown Heights, as you mentioned, or the like. You know, clearly them. looking very Hasidim, Hasidim or the like. And or Haredi, Hasidim, whatever, whatever particular group it was. 
And he admitted to having stolen the money and having lied about it under oath because now I guess there were, you know, there were legal consequences to, to perjury. So the person who was deposing them for us said, you know, you look like a religious person, but you clearly violated two of the Ten Commandments right here and you just said so. And he made this big technical response about why it was really technically not true. Um, and so in any event, we're going over this loan. And as the lawyer is recounting this, everybody's head turned toward me at the end of the recounting of this. Because even though I don't, you know, I mean, if you've seen a picture of me, I don't, you know, I don't wear a particularly religious looking garb. I, I'm, you know, look like anybody in the street. Um, uh, you know, unremarkable. Um, everybody knew I was Jewish, and you know they take my Judaism seriously. And you know they were saying, "Well, how does this comport to Judaism?" Um, and I said, "I, I, my first reaction was want to dive under the table. Frankly, um, I was so embarrassed. But as we each should be when an Arab or co-religious or anything. And then my second reaction was to say, "This guy's not a religious Jew. Don't kid yourself." You're not allowed to pray in the morning and then spend the rest of your day praying on people. That he may have be, you know, following the ritual commands, but he may as well go out and have cheeseburgers and ham and you know and ham and eggs, um, uh, you know, because keeping all the Bible is pretty clear. Keeping all of the ritualistic stuff is worthless if you don't keep the stuff like in Leviticus 19, which is make sure you do the right thing. May, you know, think of it as though God is looking at you stealing the money. Should you really be doing that? Think about it if God is watching you as you're lying. Should you really be doing that? And this guy maybe look like a really may have the, the, gar, the garments of religious Jews. He may live in the community, but he's not a religious Jew. He's not an Orthodox Jew. He's not any kind of a, you know religious person. And and honestly, I think people felt you know, that that was like the proper response there and the proper response in their own religious communities. Just because someone belongs to church doesn't mean they're religious. Just because someone shows up at church doesn't mean it's religious. You can tell if they're religious by how they connect themselves. I mean, in the Talmud, which is part of our rabbinical literature, it says that when a person is escorted to the heavenly court after death, um, the first question they're asked is did you conduct your business and interpersonal transactions faithfully not did you keep kosher not did you uh, do you know um, uh, the particular commandments um, that relate to rituals but were you faithful on a person-to-person basis in other words just like you said and you know did you abide by the golden rule I mean that person who I referred to looked religious certainly wouldn't have wanted people to lie or steal from him violation of the golden rule he he set himself up as an idol he was more important than everybody else well Scott it has been a pleasure having you because I know you've got another interview in 30 seconds so I don't want Andrew yelling at me for keeping you too long so thank you and if anybody wants in good faith questioning religion and atheism is available on Amazon Barnes and Noble Anywhere where they sell books, lots of religious bookstores, too, have it. Um, 
And uh, I greatly appreciate your time, Ann, and I greatly appreciate your questions, Curtis, as well. Hey, my pleasure. God, thank you very much, and God bless. Thank you. God bless you as well. Bye-bye. Scott A. Shea, check out his book. There's a link up on the show page, In Good Faith, Questing Religion and Atheism. Curtis, we're going to be back here on uh, Friday, and Friday we've got four guests. We've got Nicole Jenkins and Mark Robinson in the first half, and then Gosnell, the movie is out. We've got the producers of that, Anne and Phil McInerney. They're going to be joining us with this blockbuster movie that is in 700 theaters right now across the nation. Uh, So we'll see you all back here on Friday. That's all we got for the show. I just extended it a few minutes just so we can get the rest of it in. But uh, that's all we got, Curtis. Great show. All right, so I'll leave you with our closing roll number. When the roll is called up yonder, I say good night and God bless. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.